Guys, we're going to be in Genesis 32 this morning. For those of you who remember where we left off in Genesis 29 and 30, um, I, I'm, I'm skipping chapter 31, not because it's not important or relevant or, or a good chapter, but I just felt really compelled to get to this part in the story. Basically, after Jacob marries Rachel, marries Leah, marries Rachel, begins to have his children, he, he and his father-in-law uh, become very blessed by God because they are shepherds and they are having just an abundance of a flock and servants and, and wealth and prosperity. And, and Laban, which is Jacob's uh, father-in-law, realizes that it's because of Jacob that he's being blessed so much. And so he doesn't want to let them go. And finally, after 20 years of serving him, remember, he served seven years for Leah, seven years for Rachel. He's been there for 20 years now. He finally goes to Laban. He said, listen, um, I got to go back home. Like, this is not my land. This is not my home. God promised me that land. And Laban tries to do everything he can to discourage Jacob, and, and they get into this, uh, this kind of interesting, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, competition about the, the flocks and and Jacob's like, just give me the flocks that are speckled and striped, and I'll go on my way. And Anyway, you can go back and read the chapter. Very, very interesting, but eventually Jacob's like, okay, we got to get out of here. we got to go. So they leave basically um, without giving Laban any notice, and it really upsets Laban because he's like, you know, you took my, my daughters and my grandchildren away from me and didn't even say goodbye. And so he comes after him, and that's, that's really that whole context of what happens in chapter 31. But I wanted to, I wanted to get to this chapter 32, because I think this, this passage and this message today is one that all of us really need to hear. I was going to ask you a question. For those of you who've lived a little bit of life now, because tonight's way of saying you're old, so am I. I'm, I'm in the old category now. I got gray hair. I'm a grandfather. I'm old. But I'm still old. But one thing I was thinking, what would you tell your 20-year-old version of yourself if you could go back, to, to knowing what you know now, if you could go back and tell that 19, 20, 22-year-old self, what would you tell that person? Think about that for just a second. What if we had that, it's like back to the future, you know, what if you could get in your DeLorean and go back to 1955? Go tell your former self, like, hey, listen, if there's anything you need to know, this is what you need to know. We had that one opportunity. And I think all of us sitting here today probably would think back on our younger version of ourselves and just think, man, at least I look back on myself and I'm like, wow, you were so stupid. Just a kid. Just a kid. Didn't know anything. But for some reason, when you're at that age, you think you know everything. It's just, it's just the way life is, right? I mean, you, you look at young people, and you try to tell them, and you try to encourage them, and you try to give them counsel, and you try to guide them, but they most, most of the time, sometimes they listen, but most of the time, they, we just have to learn how. We just got to learn the hard way. And all of a sudden, you get into life, and you make mistakes, and you have to struggle, 
and you get out there on your own, and mom and dad aren't necessarily always out there to bail you out, and then you figure out, man, I really don't know anything. And that's one thing that God uses in our life to grow us up, to give us some humility, to mature us. And I don't know why it has to be that way, but it just is. And, and I have so many things I wish I could go back and tell my younger version of myself. So many things that I wish I could have spoken to him, that person at that time, and could have prevented so many mistakes. So much pain. But we just don't get that chance, do we? And I think about Jacob in chapter 32 of the book of Genesis, and I'm thinking about everything that he had gone through up until his life, until this point, and we're going to see this is a pivotal point in Jacob's life today, and after this encounter with God that he has here in Genesis 32, I bet you Jacob's thinking, man, if I could just only what? Just go back and tell my younger self what he needed to know to avoid all of these mistakes that I made. To avoid all this pain and trouble and, and difficulty that I brought upon myself. That could have been avoided. You know, we, we don't have to learn the hard way. We can learn from other people's mistakes and not repeat them and not make the same mistakes. You know, that's a wise thing to do. Young people out there. A lot of young people have to grow up and realize that their parents aren't perfect. That's part of the growing up process. And then the next step of the growing up process is learning how to forgive your parents. But a lot of you young people out there, you can, you can learn from your parents' mistakes or your older siblings' mistakes or from your friends' mistakes. You don't have to choose to do and repeat the same mistakes that they made. But, but however it's going to happen and however it's going to shake out, all of us, God is wanting to do something in all of our lives to bring us all to the point where we truly surrender. We just surrender to him. And then, like me, I, I get to that point and I surrender and I do good for a few weeks and maybe a month or even a year, but then I have to learn to have to do it what? All over again. But that's just the way we are. And he understands that, and he understood that about Jacob. And, and this is why I think this passage is so very important, is because this is a moment in Jacob's life where God came to him at just the right time to get his attention and basically to bring Jacob to the end of him. And his life was never the same in a good way. He wasn't perfect after this. He, it's not that he never made any more mistakes after this. But this was that moment in Jacob's life where his life was changed and was never the same. This is the moment when God changed Jacob's name to Israel. And we're going to talk about Israel today. We're going to talk about overcoming the struggles of life in Overcoming the struggles of life in Christ. So right there in the name itself, Israel, you're going to see in just a little bit, is tucked away this substantial, significant meaning behind not just who Jacob was, but also who we are in Christ. And so let's look at Genesis 32 this morning together. And I'm just going to kind of read down through. I'm not going to necessarily read the whole chapter. I want to get to the end of the chapter, which is where really the action takes place. And, and you'll, you'll be very familiar with this passage. But I just want to give you the context. So 
Jacob and his family, remember he has two wives now, uh, many servants, many flocks and herds. He has 11 sons at this time. Remember, Benjamin has not yet been born. And he's leaving, which is modern day kind of Syria. It's it's called Aram in the Bible, um, Mesopotamia kind of area. But they're leaving this area. Haran is where where Abraham and all of their family were from. And he's coming back where? To the land of Canaan. To the Holy Land, the promised land. Okay? So picture them, this whole entourage, coming back. Now, remember, when Rachel, not Rachel, excuse me, when Rebecca, Isaac's wife, sent Jacob away, she did so because she was afraid for his life because who wanted to kill him? His twin brother Esau. And Rebecca's thinking, listen, just, just go, go, go be with my family, go stay with them for a little while until Esau cools down and things are better around here and then you can come back home and we'll be one big happy family. And 20 years later, 20 years went by, Rebecca died. Never got to see Jacob again. But as Jacob is coming back after 20 long years of being away from his family, being away from his home, being away from Esau, guess just which part of the land he has to cross through to get back home? He's got to come through Edom. Who lives in Edom? Esau. And Jacob knows that one of two things are going to happen in this situation. Either somehow, someway, God's going to show me favor and my brother is going to show me favor for what I did to him all those years ago. Or he's going to kill us all. This is it. This is do or And so that picks up the context right here in Genesis chapter 32. Now let's just read a little bit as we go along. Look at verse 1. It says, Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. Okay, now that should give you indication number one. I'll get back to this here in just a minute. But remember, he had a dream at Bethel as he's going back, as he's going up to Haran. He has this dream and he sees the stairway to heaven. Remember the ladder to heaven. And he sees angels, what, ascending and descending. And now he's on the way coming back from Haran, coming back from his uh, family's uh, home, in back to the promised land, and it says the angels of God met him. So the angels are showing up already. Something, something's up here. And you would think he would get the message, okay, the angels are showing up. There must be a reason for that, right? Maybe they're guardian angels. Maybe they're there to protect Jacob, to... You know, fight for him. I don't know. But, but he, they're trying to, to get his attention. So it says the angels, met, angels of God met him. And when he saw them, he says, this is God's camp. So apparently there was enough of them to, for him to consider it a camp. Now, we, what we're talking about here, guys, is that these are angel armies. This is the host of heaven. When we talk about the host of heaven and, and the angels, many times they're, they're portrayed to be as warriors. The camp of God. And so he called the name of that place Mahanaim. And it says, Jacob sent for him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, in the country of Edom, instructing them, thus you shall say to my Lord Esau, thus says your, y'all pick up on this? What does he call himself? Your servant. 
Now, what has changed already after 20 years, after Jacob stole the blessing, stole the birthright from Esau, he went on the run, he goes, he has a little bit of life experience, you know, and now all of a sudden, he basically knows this. He knows my life is in my brother's hands. In other words, you will reap what you sow. Now, he got away with it for 20 years. He didn't have to face the consequences of what he did to his brother, but eventually the way life works, it will always snap you back into reality. You may think, oh, I'm going to get away with it. You never what? You never get away with it. You always reap the consequences of the actions that you have sown. This is Jacob's time. He's got to face his brother Esau. Now, maybe he's just flattering Esau. We're going to see he's going to send him a lot of gifts. He's going to send him some some, um, you know, um, animals and, and clothing and linens and flocks and gold. And so he's going to send him all these gifts because he's trying to flatter, he's trying to, what, butter him up a little bit. Does Jacob really at this point in time believe that he is Esau's servant? In other words, Jacob is showing some humility. My Lord Esau, you are over me. Now I'm under you. And, and actually, in all actuality, Esau was the older what? He was the older brother. So I don't know what Jacob's motivations are at this point, but I know after this story is over, we're going to see that he really has been changed. And so he's, he's coming back. He, he, being, he begins to send a message in, in ahead of them to Esau. And it says, the messengers came back in verse 6, and it says, we came to your brother Esau, and he's coming to meet you, and there are 400 men with him. Not a good way. Not a good sign. You don't typically send 400 fighting men with you if you're coming in peace. So now Jacob goes into panic mode. And he says, if Esau comes to one of the camps and attacks it, maybe the camp that is left will escape. So he split up his camps into two camps. So he took his wives and his children and his servants and his flocks and he split them up into two camps. And again, at this point, Jacob's still trying to to figure things out on his own. And in verse 9, he has a God moment. But I want you to pick up on the language, okay? He says, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff, I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother and the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, he's reminding God, he says, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for a multitude. And so even in this situation, the one thing that stands out to me that I feel like Jacob still doesn't get is that the first thing he does is that he sends his servants ahead of him to go meet Esau. So basically he's like, okay, well, y'all can be the ones that get kind of slaughtered first, and I'm going to hang back and wait and see what happens. And then he continues to send more people ahead of him, and then finally it's just him and his wives and his children, and Jacob is at the very what? He's at the very back, behind all of them. You would think he would be where? He would be the very first one. But here, he's a fallen man. He's a, he's a fearful man at this point in time. 
so here we see that Jacob is still not where he needs to be spiritually, in maturity. And so that kind of sets the context for the passage that we're going to get to here near the end of chapter 32. But I want to just share with you a couple of um, real obvious things that I think will be helpful for you and me today that we should learn about Jacob at this point in time in his life. Okay, so the first thing, if you're following along there with your, with your listening guide, you can just write this in. So the first thing is, as I read to you just then, it says Jacob was stuck in the patterns of his old ways. And what were his old ways? He was a deceiver. And he was self-what? Reliant. These were patterns in Jacob's life. Does this mean that he was some evil, wicked, horrible person? Not, that's not what I'm saying. But all of us, if we look at ourselves honestly, we develop unhealthy what? Patterns in our lives. And we begin to have coping mechanisms that we turn to and we lean in on to, especially when things get hard and things get tough or things become stressful. And Jacob's go-to was, I can, I can trick you, I can manipulate, I can deceive you. He was very smart. He tricked Esau. He tricked Isaac, his father. He tricked Laban, his father-in-law. I mean, this guy was slick. But that was his go-to. He had a pattern of deception, but he also had a pattern of self-what? Reliance. In other words, when things got difficult, he said, I'm going to figure this out on my own. How many of you fall into that category? I got this. I can figure it out. You know, prayer is a last resort. I'm, I'm going to do everything else that I can do, and then finally when all my options are out, okay, God, I'll, I'll, what should I do now, Lord, right? See, that's, that's the pattern that Jacob had established in his life, and so these patterns created all kind of bad decisions. We know all of his family struggles. His relationships had fallouts. Um, he, he lacked a lot of faith in his decisions. And now he's facing the reality of Esau's vengeance staring him in the face, and he's trying to do everything that he can to avoid the consequences of his sin. And so we see that I think Jacob should have walked confidently in front of his family because what did we read in Genesis 32 is that the first thing that he notices when he gets there is that he meets the angel of God. Did you not think it would cross his mind for one moment that maybe they were here to, to protect me, to lead me, that, that I have a camp of God's angels surrounding me, that they're going to take what? Care of us? They're going to handle this situation? But we don't hear about them anymore after this, so I don't know what happened. But he begins to take matters into his own hands. He comes up with this elaborate plan. He sends his people ahead of him. He's trying to flatter Esau with all of these gifts, and he's the one coward hiding in the back behind everybody else. So at this point in his life, there really hasn't been a lot that has changed in Jacob's character. The second thing that I see, and I don't know if you picked up on this, but it's that Jacob knew so much about the God of his father. But I feel like it was at this point that Jacob had yet to fully surrender his life to the Lord. Now, what do you, what do you, what do you mean by that? Well, the reason I believe that is because if you pick up in, in Genesis 32 in verse 9, look at what he says. 
He says, the God of my father Abraham and the God of my father Isaac. And even going all the way back to his encounter with the Lord at Bethel where he had his vision and he's seeing the angels on the stairway to heaven and, and, he, and he makes a vow to God. And I don't know if you remember what Jacob said in his vow, but listen to what Jacob said in Genesis 28. Listen to this. So he has this amazing vision. He sees the angels of God. He's like, surely the presence of God is in this place. He, he knows something amazing has just happened to him. And then he, he starts to bargain with the Lord. Now, this is before he went to Haran to, to marry and have children. Listen to what Jacob said. He said, he made a vow. He said, if God will be with me and watch over me on my journey and he will provide me with food to eat and clothes to wear so that I may return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. Did you pick up on that? What was Jacob doing? He was bargaining with God. Anybody, anybody ever been there? You've made a wreck of your life. You're having to stare down the barrel of your consequences. Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, if you'll just get me out of this one, God, I promise, I promise. Just get me out of this situation, Lord. And if you'll do that, Lord, then I promise my life is yours. I'll serve you the rest of my life. What do we do? We're bargaining with God. And then many times God may even answer that or may even alleviate the situation and unfortunately if we're honest do we keep up our end of the vow a lot of times we don't do we now i have heard some people who have found themselves in desperate situations and they did make a deal with god and they're like god i pr i promise you if you if you'll save me or deliver me or come through for me right now i promise i'll give you the rest of my life and i'll serve you wholeheartedly and i have heard some people that have followed through with that and that's fine and that's good but i feel like jacob was one of those who was saying, okay, I'm on my own, I'm on the run, I'm going up here to, see my, uh, to stay with my family, so God, if you'll prove to me that you're good enough to take care of me and provide for me and all this kind of good stuff, then I'll, I'll be, I'll serve you. You can be my God. What does that mean? Is that I feel like Jacob, up until this point in his life, it, it seems to me that he was still vicariously putting his faith in God, basically through his father and his grandfather Abraham and Isaac that should be a warning to you and to me an important reminder here today because it, a lot of times I talk to people and we get to having a discussion about their faith and and what they believe and it's a very big red flag to me when the first thing they say to me is that well you know my mom and dad they they go to church every Sunday they're really strong Christian my grandmother is the most godly woman that I've ever met in my life and she she she's she's taught me so much and what are they saying? She's, they haven't yet taken personal what? Ownership, ownership, responsibility. They're still thinking that they're okay. They're right with God somehow because their parents or their grandparents are right with God. Is that the way that it works? It's not the way that it works. Faith is not transferable. Okay? Faith doesn't work like that. We cannot live vicariously through somebody else, whether it be our parents or grandparents. It always comes back to our own personal relationship with God. And so it must be an individual decision that each of us comes to and makes for ourselves. And that is the moment of genuine faith or salvation. And I think that up until this point, Jacob hadn't reached that yet. 
He's still living off the coattails of Abraham and Isaac. And he hadn't reached that point where he said, wait a minute. You're not just the God of my father Isaac and my grandfather Abraham. You are my God. You're my God, the God of Jacob. And so we see this happening. And so that's kind of what's going on in the life of Jacob. And he doesn't know the, the fate of his family. And he feels like that there's a possibility that Esau is coming with 400 men. And he's coming to wreak havoc and take vengeance to get him back for what he did all those years ago. And so it's, it's nighttime. And he sends his family across a, a creek. He still doesn't know what's happening in, uh, ahead of them as he, he sends his, his caravans and servants ahead of him. His family, his wives and children are with him. He sends them across a creek. And it says here in Genesis 32, very important that you pick up on this. It says in verse, uh, Genesis 30, verse 20, it says, Moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me, and afterward I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed that night in the camp. Um, Let me see if I miss it somewhere. But it says somewhere where it says Jacob was alone. And I I can't see it right now. But ah, I'm sorry I missed it. But, But basically, as he sent his family ahead of him, it says that Jacob was left what? All alone. Verse 24, there, where is it? Okay, there it is, yeah. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. That's, thank you. Verse 24. Very important that Jacob had to have everybody else and everything else that he had set up around him, that formed his identity, that gave him security, he had to have all of that what? Taken away. And so here he is by himself, and look at what it says in verse 24. 22, that same night he arose, there he crossed the ford of the Jabbok, and he took them, and he sent them across, and there it says again, and Jacob was left alone. And then out of the blue, it says a man starts wrestling with Jacob. Now, I don't know how many of you guys grew up in a house with boys. We had three boys. Not a day go by that there was not some form of what? Some kind of wrestling going. That's how brothers hug. That's how they show they love each other. Is they slam each other into the ground and break a, you know, whatever it is on, on the wall and knock stuff down. You know, that that's what brothers do. But here we see Jacob is by himself. He encounters this man and they're wrestling together. And look at what it says. It says, Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. So this was a very long wrestling match. They're wrestling. I don't know how long it says. But they start wrestling, it's still dark, and they wrestle all the way up until sunrise. And it says, when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, Jacob turns out to be a pretty tough guy. He's at least tenacious. Probably pretty stubborn. You ever met one of those competitive people that just can't stand to what? And I'll just fight to the end because I can't stand to lose. I feel like Jacob probably had a little bit of that. He's like, I don't know who you are, dude. And I don't know why we're wrestling out here in the middle of nowhere, but you're not going to get me. I'm going to win this thing. So he will not give up. And so this man that's wrestling with him, 
he saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, and so he just reaches over. So basically the man says, okay, I've had enough of this. He reaches over and just goes, boop, and touches his hip socket and dislocates his hip just like that. And so Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And so then the man said, let me go. For the day has broken, but Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. The next thing that you need to know about this is that Jacob finally met God face to face in a time of desperation, and he was brought, this is important, guys, he was brought to the end of himself. Brought to the end of himself. Now, let's think about this for just a second. Jacob's doing pretty good against this guy. He's He's putting up a fight. I don't know if he knew what was really going on there at the beginning or who he was wrestling or whatever, but he's putting up a pretty good fight. And, and this guy, this man that he's wrestling with, finally gets pretty, you know, frustrated, and it seems like, with Jacob, and finally says, okay, I'm going to put an end to this. And he pops his hip socket out of joint. Now, what happens when you get your hip socket popped out of joint? Where are you going? Brought to your knees. I want you to picture this. Jacob, the deceiver. Do you know what his name literally means? Grasping the heel. What happened when Jacob was born? Remember, Jacob and Esau were wrestling where? In the womb. Esau was born first. Jacob comes out grasping his what? His heel. Usurpee. Deceiver. Heel grasper. Trickster. All of a sudden, in this pivotal, monumental time of his life, we find Jacob, who just wrestled with God, brought to his what? Knees. And when he has nothing left to do, he's grasping his what? Grasping his heel. Jacob's wrapped around his feet. Because the man looks at him and says what? Let me go, man. It's over. Like, don't you get it? I will not let you go until you what? That was Jacob's way, his humble way of saying, I know you. I want a relationship with you. And I'm not leaving this place, and I'm not letting you go until we, until we walk out of here with some kind of relationship. Jacob's moment of truth right here is that he was finally brought to the end of himself. And so sometimes, guys, we, and this is something I want you to, to think about for a second, because I, this brings up a very, very important point in our journey of faith, is that sometimes we wrestle with God. Does anybody ever get angry at God? You ever get in his face? Why? What are you doing? Why are you doing this? Struggling with him, trying to figure out what's happening, trying to understand why he's letting certain things happen the way they did or why, you know, why things in my life are turning out the way that I am or maybe it's a tragedy or maybe it's this difficult situation and 
And we just, sometimes we just, we just get angry at God or we're just wrestling with God. And, 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 it, and I want you to think about it in a way of not, not disrespecting God or, or, or hating him necessarily, but, but sometimes we just, we, we just wrestle with him, right? And, and I think that that's okay to an extent. I think that, I think that, that there, there still has to be some bit of reverence that we have. We always understand that God is holy and that we're to fear him and all those kind of things. But I think it's better. Let me put it to you this way. What's the opposite of love? It's not hate. It's indifference. I think God would be much more concerned and much more disappointed in us if we just reached the point of what? Indifference. I just don't even care. I'm not even going to give you another thought, another ounce of energy, another time, another minute of my life, God, because I don't care, I don't believe, I'm walking away, we're done. I think God would much rather us do what? Wrestle with him. God, why is this happening? God, I don't understand it. See, sometimes we just have to wrestle with God, and I think that that's okay, and I think sometimes we need to have permission, and God understands that, that sometimes we just need to have permission to, to struggle and to doubt and to wrestle with these things. But the main thing, guys, if you don't get anything else out of this passage, is that what we see here in the life of Jacob is that he's wrestling with God, he's struggling with God. You might be there right now, but the number one thing you can't do is that you cannot give up. You can't quit on God. You don't say, I'm done. See, God can handle it. He can, he can handle our frustration. He can handle our struggle. He can handle our, our doubts and our questions. He's more than willing to give us the time that we need to struggle through the darkness and the, and the fears that we have. And, and so we can't give up on God altogether. Jacob was wrestling with God, but he at least was still in the fight. And that's the thing that I want to say to you today is that you may be at a point where you're ready to give up and I'm telling you, this, this message today is telling you, stay in the what? Stay in the fight. Don't give up. Now, how do we know this is God? Well, look at Jacob's response. It says, Jacob called the name Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face and yet my life has been delivered or spared. So after this encounter, after everything happened the way that it did, he then wises up, he realizes, he has this epiphany that, man, that was not just a mere mortal that I was wrestling with. That was who? That was God. And I was face to face. I met God face to face. And guess what? I survived. I didn't what? I didn't die. God had mercy. God showed me grace. He could have very well, I could have died in this presence. I don't know. Jacob's like, I've seen God face to face. We know this is the Lord. And I'll take it even a step further. Is that Jacob calls this the angel. In Genesis 48, he says, he's saying, the God before my fathers, Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who redeemed me from all harm, may he bless these boys. And so what Jacob is saying in that prayer in Genesis 48, and this is later in his life, think about how far he has come. Remember, he didn't even take ownership of his own faith, but by the end of his life, what does he say? He says, the God of Abraham and Isaac is my God. He is my shepherd, and he's been my God and my shepherd all the days 
of my life. And he's saying, and the angel who redeemed me. What angel is he talking about? Right here. He met who? God. Face to face. This is the angel of the Lord, or what we would call a Christophany in the Bible. It's a pre-incarnate manifestation of who? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. So whenever we see God in physical form manifesting himself as a human human form in the scriptures, that tells me that is a manifestation of the Son of God who is the image of the invisible God, otherwise known as... Who did Jacob wrestle with that night? Jesus. The Son of God. I have no doubt in my mind. He came face to face and had an encounter with the Son of God. Now, the one thing that you need to remember is that when God touched his hip socket and, and, and knocked his hip out of place, did you ever stop and think for one second that what was Jacob and his family trying to do? Who are they trying to get away from? Esau. He had, he had his plan, right? We're going to split you up in two camps. Hey, if he comes and attacks this camp, what does this camp got to do? Run away. Now, where is Jacob going to be running? God just took that out of, the, out of the book. See, Jacob, you thought you had your plan. You thought you are going to manipulate this situation. You thought you knew how you are going to deal with your brother Esau. You don't have any clue because I'm taking all that away from you because from this day forward, Jacob had to walk with the what? He couldn't run anywhere. So now where is he going to go? But what did God do? He brought Jacob to the end of himself so that Jacob could stop trusting in his own self-reliance and he had to trust in who? He had to trust in God. He had to put his faith in God. So what happened to Jacob? As I, as I finish up these last two things, I just want to share this with you. What happened to Jacob after this fateful day? The first thing that happened is that Jacob's encounter with God forever changed three things. His identity, his mentality, and his what? Destiny. He's like, hey, who are you? Tell me your name. Jacob looks at this man. He says, well, my name is Jacob. He says, you will no longer be called Jacob. I will now call you by the name what? Israel, because you have striven with God, you have struggled with God, and you have prevailed. The word Israel is a fascinating word. I'm not going to go into all of the etymology of the word Israel, but there's a lot of different word plays going on. But basically, the word Israel means to strive or to struggle with who? With God. But what did Jacob do? He prevailed. He didn't give up. He did not quit. And so right there in the name Israel itself, we see an identity of Jacob, and not just of Jacob, guys, and this is where you and me come into this, is that this is the identity of Jacob's people or the people of Israel. That's what this name means. He received a new identity. He got a new name that night. He had a new mentality. 
If Jacob had any pride left in him after that night, I think God took most of that away. And Jacob's mentality in life, and, and you, know what, you know what reminded him every single day to stay humble? He had to walk with a limp. He woke up with arthritis. He's feeling it. Everywhere he had to get it loosened up and get it going before he could even get, get moving in the morning. And he's like, yep, I remember that night. God, God had to bring me to the end of myself. He had a different what? See, we need a different mindset. Remember what I shared with you at the beginning? As kids are so young and dumb and arrogant and pride, and God has to what? Got to humble you. If you won't humble yourself, I'll do it for you. You may not like it, but you will be humbled if you belong to me. That is what the Lord did to Jacob on that day. But more than anything else, Jacob, he had a new what? A destiny, because I believe this was the moment in Jacob's life when he, for the very first time, on a personal level, he truly what? Believed. No longer are you just the God of my father Isaac and my grandfather Abraham. Now, after today, that was what? Jacob's God. You are my God. I believe in you, God. I met you face to face, and his life was never the same. Now, i got just a few minutes, and I, I want to I bring this all home to you because I want you to see how this applies to you and me today. So you, you got all of this in your mind now. We're thinking about the life of Jacob, how his, his identity, his mentality, his destiny has been changed. And so here's what I want to share with you today as I go, as I close. In this world, we will suffer many troubles. But Israel will overcome by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I, I did that intentionally on purpose. The, the name itself, Israel, what does it mean? To struggle with God, but to what? Prevail. Now, isn't it interesting in life that the way God made uh, the way he created everything and allowed everything to play out is that does God promise us a life free from pain and suffering and struggle? He never promises us that. But Jesus, when he came along, he reminded his disciples, he says, hey guys, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart. Don't be afraid. I have overcome the world. So what does it mean to overcome? What does it mean to be Israel? The first thing we got to remember is that we're going to struggle. God's not necessarily going to take us out of the struggle. Sometimes we bring these things on ourselves. Sometimes somebody else does something to us that brings pain and suffering upon us. And sometimes it's just part of living in this broken and fallen what? World. Sometimes it's just bad things are going to happen, and we're going to struggle, and we're going to suffer. But remember, what does the word Israel mean? It means to struggle with who? God. That makes a big difference, doesn't it? Because what did God do in Christ? He said, I'm not going to stay in heaven, far removed from you, way out there where you can't touch me, you don't know me, you can't see me. He says, I'm going to humble myself, I'm going to take on flesh, and I'm going to come here in this world, and Jesus said, I'm going to suffer 
more than anybody. So if we're struggling, it's okay to struggle as long as we're struggling with God. Because that's a reminder that no, I may not necessarily remove all your pain and remove all your suffering, but I will promise this, I will be right there with you. Do you understand how important that is? That no matter what you're going through, you can, you can believe with all of your heart and know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is what? With you. Emmanuel, God with us. And so we, we understand that there's going to be trouble. God will be with us. But the last thing I want to share with you today is this. How do we overcome? How do we overcome? I'm going to read one verse for you. I'm going to read a verse from 1 John, okay? 1 John. I don't know if I have it printed here. I'm going to turn to it real quick. This is it. This is my, my last point, but I, I need to say this because this is so very important, okay? It doesn't mean that we try harder. It doesn't mean that we grit our teeth and we, and we white-knuckle it to the end. And That's not necessarily what it means to overcome, guys. I want you to see what the Bible says about overcoming. Look at for, in 1 John chapter 5. Listen to this. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God, listen, everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. You ready? Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? How do we overcome the world? By what? Faith. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We can look back on our life like the Apostle Paul and saying, listen, I have kept the faith. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I didn't quit. I didn't give up on my faith. I didn't give up on my God. I believe that even though there were times when I doubted and I struggled and I didn't know where he was or I didn't know what he was doing, I knew that he was still right there with me. That makes all the difference. So we can't avoid the struggle, but we have God with us. And if God prevails, which he has, who prevails with him? We do. That's what it means to be in Christ. To be in Christ means we overcome. We prevail with God. And that's what the name Israel literally means, to struggle with God and to overcome. So that every promise that God has made to his people are what? Yes and amen. I'm going to ask our praise team to come up. These are God's promises. And so as we go, guys, I, this, if you want to look at your, your application on, on your handout, but I just want to share this with you as our praise team comes up. I want you to remember this, okay? Remember that God never promises a life without struggle and suffering. He does not promise us that, but what does he promise? He promises to be with us through it all. Listen, through it all to the very end.
That's what it means to overcome. That's what it means to overcome. What did we just sing a minute ago? I don't know what you're doing, but I know what you can. I know what you can. So guys, I want to do this. We're going to, I'm going to invite you to sing. I want you to stand with us and I just want you to use this time to glorify God for who he is and what he's done. And I think sometimes we forget that when we get up here as a praise team, we are not performing for you. We're not performers. We are worship leaders. We're trying to lead you into the worship of the one true and living God. So what I want to do now is I want you to sing this with me, and I want to hear your voices this morning. So let's all stand together.